College tuition has never been higher, and there are no signs that it will be decreasing anytime soon. Student loan debt is increasingly affecting different segments of society, such as home ownership, small business creation, and entrepreneurial opportunities. This week on Noon Edition, we'll be chatting with three professionals who work to ensure students are aware of and ready for today's costs of college, managing student loan debt on this rainy commencement weekend in Bloomington, right after this hour's news. Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, the GigaCity Company, a philanthropic community partner since 1922 and proud supporter of numerous community organizations. More information at smithville.com. And School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life publichealth.indiana.edu. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with State, House, State Impact Indiana education reporter Peter Ballinan-Rosen, who's joining me today. This is a rather rainy commencement weekend here in Bloomington. We have a very appropriate show for you. College tuition is consistently becoming more expensive, causing student loan debt to increase dramatically over the past 10 years. It delays home ownership. And it has created a rise in actually uh, hungry and homeless students who attend America's community colleges. Many colleges have implemented changes to address this, such as IU's recent two-year two tuition freeze. But nonetheless, student debt and college costs are still rising consistently. Today, that's what we're going to talk about with three guests. We have two who are going to start the program with us. Jim Kennedy is here in the studio. He's Associate Vice President at Indiana University, and he's very involved with financial aid. And also joining us by phone from Clive, Iowa, Adam Carroll, who's a finance, financial literacy public speaker who has also put together a documentary film called Broke, Busted, and Disgusted, which is... Uh, Due to be on uh, CNBC, is that what you said, Adam? That's correct. All right, that's correct. Coming up, and we'll talk about that as well. If you want to join us on the program, the phone numbers are eight one two eight five five zero eight one one here in Bloomington, or one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight outside of the Bloomington area. You can also follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So thanks all, thanks for joining us. Jim, good to have you back. Thank you. It's always good to talk with you. And Adam, thanks for joining us from out there in Iowa. And I wanted to, to start with you today. I know uh, you've talk, you talk a lot about how the realities of college have changed over time. That's a, a big part of your message. Can you sort of summarize that for us? You bet. I, I think that the economic realities of college have definitely changed in the way of tuition increases and the amount of student debt <clears throat> that students are taking on just to foot the bill for, for their higher education. I think in addition to that, we've made that whole funding and financing process uh, somewhat hands-off or intangible for most students. So they spend about four and a half years swiping their university ID and charging it all to a U-bill, borrowing money to pay that off, and not realizing uh, in the moment how much they're actually borrowing until it's too late and they've gotten that degree and now the horse is long out of the barn. Mm -hmm. So I, I maintain that, that bringing financial literacy down to the student level is really critical to help students graduate with less debt. Mm -hmm. And Jim Kennedy, IU's been trying to do that, right? That, that's correct, Bob. We've, we've put a, quite a few things in place here at the university to try to address that issue um, with financial literacy and financial aid and our, our focus on uh, finish in, in four, too, as well, with the advising side. So those three initiatives, we've, we've tried to address that. Mm -hmm. and how, su how successful do you think that you've been so far? I feel we've been very successful. Okay. Over the past four years, we've reduced student loan debt by over almost $100 million. 
Um, and as Adam referred to, I think our, our annual student loan debt letter that we send out every year to students, um, we started that about five years ago. And it's to show students every year how much they have out, how much their repayment's going to be, and some other really critical information about um, repayment plans. Um, that's been very successful. And what it's also done is, is created a lot of questions from students and a lot of awareness. So that has really helped us because I think Adam, he had a good point. At one, at one time, students, um, when they would graduate, they'd say, how much student loan debt do I have? And it was amazing. We did some, some focus groups, and we were, we were amazed at the answers. And that's why we put that annual debt letter into production about five years ago. Now, studies say that public colleges have generally become less, not more accessible to middle-income Americans here. Um, IU, I know you guys are doing other steps like this this letter, telling people about loans. Um, you guys also recently had a two-year undergraduate tuition freeze at IU Bloomington. What are some of the other kind of concrete steps that you're doing to help students think about their financial futures? Well, the financial literacy pieces that we have in place, um, that's one thing we, we put um, about four years ago to assist students uh, making informed financial decisions before, during, and after college. And we've put a lot of materials out there. There's a lot of events and workshops just to talk through the financial pieces of college, the financing, the student loans, the budgeting. Um, the other thing we've done on the financial aid side is we've really worked hard to get better information to students. So with our annual financial aid award notices, we've made it really clear what our loans and what our grants. Um, we've worked on having more touch points so students can understand about their student loans, um, if they want to deny student loans, reduce student loans, just a lot of points where they can ask questions. And the last piece that we've, we've really um, worked on with the advisors is to try to push students to graduate in four years if possible. Now, I know we have some part-time students at some of our regional campuses, but graduating in four years has a, a significant impact on reducing student loan debt. And we're really focused on um, if we can graduate in four years, how we can make that happen for a student. Adam, I, uh, I, I watched your uh, TED talk this morning, and I would recommend it to anybody out there that's interested in this issue. You can find Adam Carroll uh, talking about financial literacy. And one of the funny things you did, it, was, it seemed funny. It probably wasn't funny to a lot of people who were watching. You, you had $30,000. I, I guess that was real. You said you had $30,000 and talked about how that was what the average debt that students had. Yeah, it was, um, and that that may have been an outdated number. Actually, well, probably they, they, the average freshman the, starting school yeah, this year has twenty four more than likely so. graduate with an average of about thirty seven thousand. Um, I would guess Jim Jim's number at IU is going to be significantly lower. They've done a fantastic job in their Money Smarts program of of making it front and center, and I think that's a big part of what's happening on college campuses is those numbers that that at one point seemed really intangible for students. They're talking about it every year, and that student debt letter has been incredibly successful at IU and a number of other state-run institutions, as well as private schools. It's just a great practice. So how, how did, we, you know, we, we talk about, you know, the student debt and the, the loan, but there's also the tuition piece. So from your standpoint, Adam, um, I don't know, I don't want to be so crass as just to say, is college worth it today? Because I'm, you know, that's, it's not that simple of a question. But is, you know, tuition going up faster than it should? You know, I, I would love to get uh, Jim's answer on this, too. He's, <laughs> he's way more of an insider and has the inside track on that. In our research for the documentary, what we found was that it was a multifaceted, uh, multi-causal reason that, that tuition has gone up. You know, one of the reasons, one of the big reasons is state defunding. You know, we've had schools years and years ago, it was, you know, probably an 80 or 85 percent share of the cost to run the university came from the state. And over time, that number has gone down considerably to the extent that at UC Berkeley, as an example, they used to be funded at the 82 percent level by the state of California and now they're funded about 13%. So because that money has to come from somewhere, tuition becomes a pretty natural place to, to draw it from. Um, you know, we've had lots of growth on college campuses, so there's a been a bit of an amenities race on college campuses over the past two decades where you know, rock walls and nice gyms and rec centers, uh, we have 
beautiful brand new dormitories that are that are somewhat luxury living and great dining centers and and all of that is is really meant to entice students it's to keep enrollment numbers up the students are beginning to demand it but again the cost is is somewhat passed along and then there are things that you don't even realize and again jim could probably speak to this but you don't even imagine how much wi-fi costs on a college campus when you have thirty thousand students all wanting to stream netflix at the same time you know, how much could that possibly cost on a monthly basis? It's significant. And so we have all these increasing costs to run the school. Um, that, that question about is college worth it is an interesting one. And I think it's more about are, are we pushing 18-year-olds who don't really have a sense of what jobs exist in the first place into an environment where they're trying to find themselves when that might be, there might be better options and opportunities that could be explored to do that. I still think college is for everyone, but I think that some kids need to sort of set their roots down and figure out who they are and what they want to do before they go to school. And, and I'm seeing nationwide the average age of college students is actually creeping up, and I think that's a really good thing. I'd be interested in Jim's insight on that. Well, the overall price piece, you know, for Indiana University, we've been fortunate. We've had a tuition freeze here at the Bloomington campus the last two years. And um, for our in-state students, the, the cost, the annual tuition cost is $10,388 for, for IUPUI campus. It's 9206 And our regional campuses, it's 7072 a year. Now, we moved into a banded tuition rate or a flat rate. Um, for all campuses, that had, that had been the, the practice at Bloomington for many years, but all campuses have that now. Um, so I, I feel we are a, a good value at that price. Um, we have had fairly low tuition increases over time. Um, and again, that's for Indiana University. I think we've been very fortunate with that. Long term, I think one of the biggest pieces we have to face is not so much the tuition and fees, it's the other expenses as we know. And I'm talking about the living expenses, the room and board, um, the books, the transportation, the personal expense components of attending college or the cost of attendance. And um, obviously, those are choices students can make. There's a lot of choices out there. You know, we require, we like to have students on campus the first year, but after that, there's lots of choices students can make on how they want to, how they want to live and how they want to uh, spend their money on food. Um, and uh, that's what we're trying to do with the Money Smarts program is really get that in place. Hey, you have options. You know, take a look at that and make a smart one on that. I mean, rents in Bloomington are all across the board, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, you want to live like a college live like a college student now, so you don't live like a college student later on. I mean, you know that's a, a term many people use, but it's it's very uh, it's very true. So we've also tried to really work on things such as the books that's another really uh, big piece there was an article about our e-tex initiative it is saving quite a bit of money for students um, and we're just looking at other things we can do to help students uh, with the savings but i think a lot of it comes down again to the educational piece and that's what we're really trying to focus on with, with the financial literacy and some of the financial aid practices so we're talking about tuition going up right now and you, uh, like you just said, um, Adam, we had about $37,000 debt on average that uh, those who borrow uh, fall into. That's up from $20,000 just 10 years ago. And you know, some of this can be correlated with tuition increases or people taking out loans so they can live well while they're in college and not just eat mac and cheese. But if, if we want to zoom in onto this tuition piece, is there any incentive for colleges to lower these costs, you know, as their costs rise while they're trying to get these programs, students are going to take out loans and to pay for it. What, why would a college want to, or do they have any incentive to lower those fees? Well, at this point, I mean, our goal is is to keep the tuition affordable as affordable as possible. Um, we haven't had talks about reducing the tuition, but of course, the other piece we have is. We have a lot of our own institutional aid, and we have programs in place to help students, such as the Pell Promise, the 21st Century Covenant. Um, and we have been doing a lot of experiments with those programs as well. We have a new one up at our IUPUI campus. It's called the Home Stretch Program, and that's to help students that are close to graduation that have a certain amount of debt or other issues to try to get them through to the finish line and get their degree. 
Um, we've also spent a lot of our institutional funds on summer because we feel if, they, if students are going to take 30 credits a year and they're short, they could take some classes in the summer and keep on track for four years. Um, so I think that the institutional aid piece or other programs, I think the, 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 the federal programs, the state programs, uh, even private donors, whatever we can do to help reduce those overall costs, that's a big benefit for students. Mm-hmm. Now, we're seeing a lot of changes at the federal uh, Department of Education right now, a lot around student loans. I guess, what are some of the things that you two are looking at um, that you are trying to see, you know, as as the new administration comes in and some of the rules change, what should people be watching? Adam, you want to try that one first? Yeah, well, I would jump in on that. I think that uh, there, there is definitely a different mindset from the previous administration to this one. And I think there is a uh, that previously there was sort of a focus on how do we make college affordable? How do we lower the average monthly payment? There was a lot of student loan forgiveness talk. Um, you know, there was sort of a, a generosity, if you will, extended to some of the students who had put themselves in a situation where they were in over their heads. I, I highly doubt that that will continue over the, the coming years. Um, there's been some talk, and I've, I've read a number of articles about pending legislation or proposed legislation that would get rid of some of the public service loan forgiveness programs. And even those that are in them today are not guaranteed that their loan will be forgiven here in the next year or two. And I, and I think that poses a really big challenge for, for millions of Americans who are struggling under that. And so that's one thing that I'm focused on. I'm looking at, I think, with Betsy DeVos in charge of the Department of Education and the focus on, um, on charter schools and vouchers and all of that, at some point it makes me wonder if the bankers, um, given that, that President Trump is very favorable with the bankers and I think has, a, has probably a pretty good relationship with their lobbying agencies, um, will open up student lending to high schools. And so if a parent wants to send their child to a private high school and can't afford it, they would probably get a student loan to do that. So I think we'll see student loan numbers go from where they are today, $1.43 trillion, to you know, well above $3 trillion in the next 10 years. And kind of and, on uh, that... Kind of on that, the uh, DeVos recently changed uh, education department guidance to allow student loan collectors to immediately charge fault, uh, fees to those who default. Um, there, before this, there had been a two-month grace period, which many uh, student debt collectors uh, said they will still keep in place there, although not required to anymore. So what measures do students seem to be thinking about to avoid even getting there in the first place? Well, I think the first thing... Uh, is you, you need to keep on track of your loans. And that's one thing with the debt letter, we have a lot of information, but my, our advice is basically, all you need to do is call if you have any issues with your loan. The servicers are really good about working with students. And where students get in trouble is when they just, they, they decide they're not gonna do anything with these things. But if you call and make arrangements, there's a lot of plans out there, income-based repayment plans. If you're having trouble, there's forbearances, there's deferments. So, you know, we definitely do not want to see those changes. We want to make sure that we're being, uh, for student borrowers, that there are a lot of good ways for them to maintain their payments and not get into default. And one initiative we've worked on recently, mostly with our regional campuses, is we've started calling our students um, during the grace period to explain the repayment options. And um, also, if they become past due, we have a, a partnership that we work with this company that, that gets a hold of the students and says, hey, listen, please call your lender and let's make sure you don't have a problem with, the, with these loans. So, and I would like to see that more, more of that happen versus penalizing students. How can we be more proactive with students? Because with these plans, we just need to c- communicate with the students and get them enrolled, and that will help them and also help the taxpayers with, with avoiding defaults. Now, we know, just to drop a couple figures here, one in three uh, people who have student loans are delinquent, and one in five are actually in default here. And at the same time, we're also seeing um, the 25 to 34-year-old age uh, is the second highest rate of bankruptcy. Adam, are you still here? I think we might have lost Adam. Um, Second highest rate of bankruptcy. Um, I don't know if you can speak to how you see student loans working into that. 
Well, we, we have started, again, with this initiative I just described, talking about with students that are, that are gone from the university. Um, the biggest challenge we face, I mean, the students that graduate do fairly well. Um, a lot of these students are ones that start that don't finish or, or you know, have to take a break from college or decide they're not going to attend college and finish their degree. That's where we see a lot of, and especially students that only attend like one or two semesters. Now, this isn't really an issue for the Bloomington campus. It's more for maybe our regional campuses. Um, those are the ones we really want to get a hold of right away and say, hey, you know, you've taken out this loan. We see you're not attending at this point. Make sure you keep on top of this loan. You do not want this to impact your future um, with credit. And that's where Money Smarts has really done a great job of, of contacting with this vendor and other things. Um, you know, our our average debt here at Indiana University is 27901 That's our average with averaging all our campuses together within and out-of-state students, um, which equates to about a 296 a month payment for 10 years. And we feel we, we track that pretty carefully at the university to see where that's at. And we also t- try to take a look at we, we don't want that to exceed 10% of their gross monthly income, that payment. Um, so we track that pretty carefully, but at you know, $296 a month, we feel that's a, a good investment um, in your future, especially if you have a degree. Now, the one issue that we continue to work on with that um, a, as we move forward is, again, the people that, that don't graduate. I mean, what can we do to make sure we keep in contact with those students? Um, and also just in making sure at any point we can to make sure people are aware of their debt. And I think that's, that's where we're having some big success. Gotcha. What, what exactly is in the student debt letter? I mean, you, you send it out, and how, do you send it out every semester, every year, once a year? It, it varies by campus, at least once a year. And what we do is we, we, we put together all their loans. So it's their federal loans, it's their private loans, anything we have a record of. We put it together and we do an average. And the interest rate we shoot is a little bit higher because um, we don't have all the interest rates, especially for private loans. So we kind of shoot high with this thing and say, you know, here's your payment. Um, and it also, so it gives your cumulative amount, your, your interest rate average, and what your monthly payment's going to be depending on your cumulative balance. Mm-hmm. Um, it also has a lot of other good information um, where you can call, you know, financial literacy, money smarts, or all, it talks about re- the, the income-based repayment plans, other things. And the best part about it is it just generates a lot of questions, which we like. We like a lot of questions on this. All right. We're going to take a short break now. We're, when we come back, we're going to be joined by Jason Bierce with the Indiana Commission on higher, for Higher Education, as well as we hope we get Adam Carroll back. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be back in a few minutes. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, online at smithville.com, and IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiunews.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each weekday afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times in Bloomington, along with State Impact Indiana education reporter Peter Ballin and Rosen. And we're talking about uh, college tuition and loans, student loans today on Noon Edition. We have Jim Kennedy, Associate Vice President of Indiana University, who's very involved with financial aid. Adam Carroll, a financial literacy public speakers joining us by phone from Iowa and also joining us now for the second half of the program is Jason Bierce with the Indiana Commission for Higher Education. He's a Senior Associate Commissioner for Strategy and External Affairs. 
If you have questions or comments, give us a call at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348. You can also follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Jason, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll talk a little bit about what what you've been up to at the commission here in a minute. We're going to go to the phones first. We have Karen from Bloomington who has a question. Karen? Hi, it's actually Sarah, not Karen. Okay, Sarah, go ahead. Yeah, the question is, uh, I haven't heard anything about um, encouraging students to do advanced college placement or other ways of uh, reducing the on-campus cost of of, uh, college tuition. All right, who wants to? uh, Adam, you want to try that first? Yeah, I'd love to. You know, in our uh, our school district, I was actually at a, a building yesterday um, called the Innovation and Learning Center, and it's it's basically a chance for students to get a sense of some of the job categories that they may be interested in. And each of these courses they can take one per semester of their junior and senior year, give them college credit. In addition, they can take AP classes. Uh, they can take online classes through the community college locally here for free. And our students, if they plan it right, and this is the key, if they plan it right, can graduate from high school uh, with nearly 60 credit hours towards their college career, which, which would put them you know, nearly at the end of their sophomore year, if not beginning of their junior year. So we highly encourage it when I talk to college students, or high school students rather, you know, I'm telling them, what, are, what advanced planning are you doing in order to get those first you know, 15 or 30 or 45 credit hours under your belt? And uh, as you all probably know, teenagers can be a hard group to motivate. But when you start talking about real costs that's, that is saved as a result of those hours, it's tangible. It's you know thirty, forty thousand dollars in some cases. Adam, I want to ask: Have there been any studies about the success of those students that come to school with thirty to sixty credits, so they're getting through more quickly? You know, after they graduate, any kind of long-term success? I have not seen any any longevity studies on that. Mm-hmm. I, I can only speak anecdotally, but. The students that I know that graduated from college at the age of 20 or 19, even in some cases, um, they're very driven. They're motivated. Their their idea was, I'm going to get in, I'm going to get my degree, and I'm going to go to work. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, again, Jim and his group has done an amazing job at IU, focusing on get done in four. Um, I would celebrate a guy, um, Mitch Daniels, who is the president of Purdue University. And Mitch has done a good job of promoting some of his his programs and departments in creating three-year graduate programs. So how do you get a bachelor's degree in three years, not in four? And I think that's going to become part of the focus and the challenge for many universities will be how do we create some of our, uh, I hate to say more general, or, or but maybe more basic liberal arts uh, coursework, how can we get people done in three? instead of four. I think that will become a focus. Okay, Jim and Jason, you want to respond to that and Karen, you know, Karen's overall question? Yeah, I think her overall question is the right one in terms of um, early credit opportunities for students. And Indiana has actually been really active in this area. Um, we have significant numbers of our students um, finishing with a year or more of early college credit. Um, shameless plug here, as it happens, our agency just put out a report on dual credit related trends in the last couple of weeks, and um, y- y- there are um, signs, serious signs, that the return on investment, both for students and state in terms of these opportunities, is significant. Um, we're seeing not only dramatic increases in the numbers of students taking these credits, but also it's correlated with much better outcomes for the students once they get here in terms of persistence rates, GPA, certainly graduation, and whenever possible, early and, and ideally on-time graduation. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think it, it's whatever we can do to help students, um, again, to finish in four, and this is a, a great way to start out. You come in with some credits, um, and that gives you a little bit of leverage, um, depending on what's going to happen, so you can't get out in four. Mm-hmm. Even from a policy perspective, Indiana is one of the most generous states in the nation in terms of the amount of um, need-based financial aid we provide, but that is need-based. Um, so if you're a, a middle-class student who doesn't qualify for other scholarships, really the, the two best things you can do is um, you know take those um, early credit opportunities and be on track by taking the right number of credits each semester to stay on track to graduate in time. Those, those are your best cost-saving strategies um, for if you're a middle-income student who 
you know, doesn't come in with other academic scholarships. Jason, I wanted to ask you about the availability of these dual credit classes. Um, we know they're in a lot of Indiana high schools, but not in every single one, and that there were some new requirements that were introduced for the t- people who could actually teach those. You needed a master's degree in that subject area. What steps are you guys taking to see these these programs kind of prosper? Well, um, first, a little historical context. Um, by Indiana law, um, high schools have to offer at least uh, one or two dual credit and one or two advanced placement courses. And you know, the, the goal was really that both of those opportunities be available in every school. But what we've seen in terms of how the data is shaken out is that um, some schools are very concentrated around um, dual credit offered through the universities and others are more in like advanced placement. But um, I, I have to point out that the, the group that made these changes is not our commission. It's the Higher Learning Commission, which is often how these conversations start. We have to clarify that um, to, to start with. But I think you know nationwide there have been – different states, first off, have different philosophies about um, what the purpose of dual credit is and what kind of student um, should be taking dual credit. Um, some are very uh, limited in terms of the, a lot of students they allow access. Indiana has kind of taken a completely different approach, and we've been trying to um, make that as an open access opportunity for as many students as possible. So when the Higher Learning Commission put out this new requirement, um, sort of raising the teacher credentials, um, it caused quite a bit of consternation in in many circles. Um, Fortunately, um, after a lot of pushback from Indiana and some other states, um, the regional creditor, HLC, um, delayed the uh, implementation date of that. So we've got some additional time, and I know that IU and other colleges around the state have been sort of um, looking at collaboration opportunities so that we can uh, you know, uh, up credential the the existing teachers that are providing dual credit and ensure that you know those opportunities um, remain uh, accessible to students across the state. All right, Sarah, thank you for, very much for your call. Excuse me, go ahead. How about distance learning? Is that a possibility for students who maybe in the summer when they have to be somewhere else? Distance learning as a possibility, Jim. As, yeah. as a way to get mm-hmm. credit toward the toward an IU or. Degree. Yes, um, very much so. We, we, we have, through our online uh, Office of Online Education, there's a lot of opportunities. It's also at the campus. Um, so that is a big, big opportunity, and that, that market is, is growing. So there is, especially in the summer, as you pointed out, um, we do have a lot of students taking classes, and there's a lot of opportunities there. Thank All right. You. Thanks a lot for your call. 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside the Bloomington area. You can also join us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Now I want to bring this conversation back to the idea of debt. Are we seeing the reality of debt and rising tuition driving people towards more specific majors? Are we seeing more kind of less BAs, more BSs? Um, Is this changing the landscape in colleges themselves? Let's go to Adam first. Adam? You know, it's it's interesting. My perspective on that's a little bit different than, than maybe what the gentlemen in higher ed uh, specifically are. But I, I sp- I've spoken to you know, tens of thousands of students, and typically what I find is that there is this perception that they have to get the right major in order to get the right job. And I think there's a bit of a disconnect for young people today that they, don't, they just don't know themselves well enough to know that in the, in the next... 12 or 15 years of their work, working life, they'll have five different careers, not just jobs, but they may have career changes that many times. And so I think one of the, the, the challenges that we have to overcome is some students are on those college campuses and they go, you know, I, I, I thought I wanted pre-med, but I'm, I'm really not into pre-med. I think I'm going to do like biomedical engineering, or maybe I don't want that, I'm going to go into engineering. And, and at some point, they just have to commit to one major and get out. Um, that's part of the reason I think they're staying for five and six years in some cases. Uh, so I don't, I, I don't know that I can speak exactly to the kind of major they're going after, but I can say that many students are going in with the impression that they have to find the exact right one or else their life will be ruined, which is not true. Well, and I want to I mention, I know that you've said it as well. I mean, 18-year-olds, when they go into school and decide what they want to take, their brain isn't fully developed. I mean, we've talked with neuroscientist Jill Bolte-Taylor on this program many times before about how uh, you know, a student at that age doesn't necessarily know what they want to do. That's exactly right. With no prefrontal cortex and the ability to have forward thought, that's part of the reason I think that going back even into the high school age range, 
being able to expose young people today to some of the career opportunities is critical because we're essentially graduating 18-year-olds and saying you have to have a degree to be successful, and, and they're, most of them are coming out with that belief, but they don't really know what success looks like in any given field because they don't have that much experience in the field. So if we can do more of that at the high school level, I think we'll actually graduate students faster, more efficiently with less debt because they'll know what they're there for. Now, Jim, how about the same question? Are you seeing kind of majors changing here? You know, I don't have any research on that, but I, I would probably say a guess is is no at this point. Um, you know, obviously, we're very concerned about students that have excessive debt. I mean, student loans are a great tool, a great way to finance your education, but we don't want to have people graduate with excessive debt. We still have around 45% of our students at all the campuses that, that don't have any student loan debt at all. So obviously our focus is on making sure that if you're going to use the student loans that you're doing it and you're going to graduate with a reasonable amount of debt that you can pay back without a hardship and not have excessive debt. So at this point, I would say the answer to that is, is no. I'm not, we're not seeing that. But um, And again, as we go back to the, the question from the caller, is students change majors and having some some credits there where you can change your major and still graduate in four years is very, very important. Yeah, I don't know that I can't speak super knowledgeably about this, but at a, at a high level, I don't think we've seen significant change in, in, in the majors for at least the last several years, it seems like. Um, the greatest popularity is, is centered around business and health-related majors, which, you know, obviously students have gotten the message that there's a big need in both those areas and, and they're responding. But I want to pick up on um, something that Adam said is that um, certainly we can't expect all students to leave high school with a very um, specific understanding of what their major or career path is going to be. But I think we can do a lot more as a state and local schools in terms of providing structured experiences for students to do more intentional um, career exploration. You know, we, we graduate a lot of students who leave high school with either a very narrow, limited view of what the opportunities are out there, and we also graduate a lot of students who leave high school with misconceptions about what their um, aptitude is or what their industry um, uh, opportunities are. And so I think we can do a lot more on the front end, N not necessarily um, uh, pushing students to decide on a specific major, but um, maybe going the opposite direction and, and checking things off the list to know what's not right for them as much as figuring out exactly what is right for them. I think we'd, we'd uh, be able to reduce the amount of um, you know, dramatic major changes um, once students get to college. We certainly think that, that students um, will, will continue to sort of refine their interests, but the extent that we can minimize the amount of, you know, completely um, veering in opposite directions and they sort of have to start from scratch would be in their best interest. All right. We have a phone call from Lynn from Bloomington. Lynn, go ahead. Yes, thank you. I'm wondering about the person who is um, talking about the $290 a month wonderful loan payments, why companies like Navient, who service many student loan debts, capitalize the interest, and you can pay that payment for 10 years, and you find out that you barely touched the initial amount, and you're just paying interest, and your loan is bigger. Jim, can you... Why aren't they using simple interest like a car loan? Well, the loans that, you know, the, the direct loan program or the federal loan program I know there has been some some issues with that, but I think mostly that would be would be unsubsidized or private loans that you'd be referring to. Um, there is pretty strict regulations and how the interest is calculated for the federal loan programs. Um, so I, I can't speak to that, but you know it is a simple interest calculation for all the federal loans that are out there that are serviced by the Department of Education or through their various servers. Um, that's one of the pieces with private loans that we try to educate through Money Smarts and making sure people understand, um, because those are loans outside of the university, and it's very important that, that people look at the, all the terms of those loans before they take those out. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear that many students, when they're taking out loans, don't really understand the short or long-term implications associated with those, and, and we give a lot of credit to IU for sort of leading with you know, greater transparency around that. I mean, t you, you take that um, that big number, 
and you um, dial it down to what a monthly payment's going to look like, I think that um, resonates with students a lot more than this sort of, you know, we're, we're talking about long-term uh, implications, both in terms of what their earnings are going to be and what the total debt's going to be. And I don't know that students are always able to understand what that's going to mean for them long-term, but, you know, um, you know, IU sort of led the, the way on being um, more greater, much greater um, transparency in this area, and it's subsequently become a state law, so all of our institutions are doing it. And we see that just with some good information, students will make much smarter decisions that are going to put them in a better, better position long term. We will say right now uh, the average monthly payment that students have is uh, $351 um, when they leave school with about $37,000 in debt. So while while we're talking about yeah, when, you, when you tell them that that it, you know it suddenly looks like a car payment or you know a rent payment that that means a lot more to them than that you know that big number. Oh yeah, thirty seven thousand dollars is way more abstract than here's almost you know three hundred fifty every month. Especially when you assume you're going to be making a hundred thousand dollars at your first job <laughs> out of college, right? So right. there's there's sort of that uh, that recognition of the real world that hits pretty fast. Now as we're talking about loans here, we can't ignore how race plays out in these loans. Um, black college graduates are more likely than white peers to leave school with debt. This October report from the Brookings Institute said that that gap uh, in debt triples just a couple years after college, where four, year, uh, four years after graduation, black graduates, this is national numbers, have almost $53,000 in loans, which is almost double the amount of white students. Are you, is, how do we tackle this, and is this something that the Commission for Higher Education is looking at? Yeah, well, we certainly need to start earlier, which is one of the reasons uh, a year ago um, we were advocating strongly for some some structured um, experiences for all students in, in terms of financial literacy. Interestingly enough, um, there are courses on the books that some high schools offer and some don't. One is one is called um, uh, Personal Financial Responsibility, and that course, along with a, 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 another course in terms of preparing uh, students for college and careers, we really think those should be um, part of the required graduation or curriculum for all students because in, in both cases, um, back to my earlier comment, you got students making decisions about where they're going to go to school and what they're going to major in with a very limited understanding of what the opportunities are that are out there. And they're also making decisions with very limited understandings of what the scholarship opportunities are, how the financial aid process works, any number of things. And so um, certainly our counselors um, work really hard in this area, but there aren't enough of them and they don't get to spend enough time with students. And so the more that we can embed these types of of um, experiences for all students consistently, we think it's going to position students to make much smarter decisions down the line. Jim, I don't know if you want to add to that. Well, I, I think the key to the whole piece is is planning and saving. And that's one thing we're really talking about as a next stage of our financial literacy initiatives is, is the 529 plans and how we can get more folks involved in those. And the key to it is to start very early with that. And, of course, in Indiana, we have a great great plan that has a, a significant tax break um, if you put money into it that you can take every year. So we're trying to get away. I mean, looking at, at, at debt, if somebody comes to the university with money saved, that really helps with the student loan debt issue. But we still have a lot of people that come the first day and say, listen, I'm, I need to figure out how to finance this thing, right? When you show up on campus as a freshman and they have that question, it's too late, right? So even a little bit, and we'd like to look at from the 529 perspective what we can do with the state. Again, we have a great plan, but is there other incentives we could do to get people to save? And what could we do? What what, what could those be? So um, again, that's something we're really going to, at our next level of our financial literacy initiatives. What we want to focus on. I mean, we know a fair number of families open college savings plans and then don't regularly contribute to them. And so, you know, there's marginal benefit um, to the individual. I think Jim's um, absolutely um, uh, hitting on an important issue is we, we've got to um, figure out incentives and ways to motivate students and families to sort of, you know, reliably and consistently contribute over a sustained period of time, start early and keep saving on a regular basis so that they have, you know, a bit of a nest egg to work with one time they get to college. All right, we have 10 minutes to go on the program today, 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside the Bloomington area. And you can send us a question or follow us on Twitter, at Noon Edition. Uh, I want to ask Adam Carroll, you know, we've talked about a lot of different things today from all your speaking on various campuses around the country. What key questions are you hearing that maybe we haven't gotten to yet? 
you know, the, the key question that I hear from students over and over again is that, what do I do after I'm done? Um, and, and I think Jim touched on a little bit. There are multiple, multiple repayment plans um, to the extent that it's almost confusing for the people who work in the industry to describe what the repayment plan options are. Um, I tell students all the time, this is the worst weed you can have in your yard. It, it's like creeping Charlie in your front yard. If you let it go unchecked, it will spread all over. And it, and it relates back to the question that one of your callers had about, um, you know, Navient and how, how come someone can pay for 10 years and their loan balance is bigger. In many cases, what's happened is students kind of either stick their head in the sand or recent graduates stick their head in the sand or just send the payment in assuming that those student loan servicers are going to apply the payments in the most beneficial way possible for the graduate, for the borrower. And many, in many cases, and what we've seen in the, the Navient lawsuit recently, is that they may have organized their system in order to make the most amount of interest on those loans. So what I tell students is there is a logic at play here that you need to question, and that is if it took you four years to acquire the debt, should it take you 10 or 20 years to retire the debt? And, and so I tell them the best possible thing you can do is live like a broke college kid for the next two years of your life. You're used to it already. You shouldn't be expecting a new car and a big house and, and dinners out when you're 22 and 23, 24. You should be putting every extra dime you can towards blasting away your student loan debt because it is a complex interest um, uh, or compound interest vehicle they're paying way more interest on the front end than they are on the back. And by the time they're 25, if they've paid for two or three years, they're not seeing much, um, you know, much principal drawdown. So um, my, my focus for students is tackle that debt as soon as possible. I, so I, I have to ask because, you know, here in Bloomington, we see a lot of students that I would say don't, do not look like, live like, or act like broke college students. So you know, does that resonate with all students that are that are accumulating debt, or are there are some students that just have no idea what it is to live like a broke college student? Well, again, I think the Money Smarts program at IU has done a great job of, of educating students what that looks like. But I would say, by and large, most of the students I interact with, you know, they've they've borrowed, uh, may have been encouraged to borrow. Even what do you need to live on? And what they need to live on is, is obviously different for everyone, but um, a great majority of students I meet, their parents have covered the bill most of their growing up years. So they don't know really what it costs to live. Um, they just know what they like. And a lot of them like Starbucks and they like you know, steak dinners and they like those kinds of things that um, I don't think we've done a great job of educating students about what it really means to live on the cheap in college. I don't think we've done a good job of that. And can we talk about some of the kind of long-term effects that this has had while we have millions of people walking around with debt? We know that it's had effects on everything from the housing market to the job market. Um, and I guess, question open for anyone. Maybe Adam? I know some of the stuff that you've covered. Yeah, you know, when we did the, the research for the documentary, we found that um, those that do carry student loan debt typically drive used cars. They don't drive new cars. They're not homeowners. Um, they delay starting a family until their mid-30s in some cases. So I think what we're seeing is a prolonged adolescence. And, you know, if you look at the statistics today, somewhere between 36 and 51 percent, depending on which, uh, which magazine you read, um, of millennials are living either with parents or other relatives still. And that's unheard of. That's never happened in our society before. So pure and simple, we have a number of consumers that aren't really in the marketplace spending money because the money that they're spending is actually going back to their student loans. I think that has to have a, a prolonged and profound effect on our economy. Well, and the students we worry about the most are those who finish with debt and no degree, which I don't know that we've talked much about that right. during this conversation, right. but I mean, certainly with the degree and the earning power that comes with that, you're going to have a much greater chance of paying off that loan and not defaulting. And we see a a, a sadly a large number of students that um, end up defaulting um, when don't even have the degree to back it up. Well, and I just add, uh, again, we're very concerned about students with excessive debt, but a $296 a month payment for 10 years to have an Indiana University degree, I think it's a very, very good investment. Uh, 
I have five children, and I have ones that are buying cars, and they, they really do not have any problem with a three or $400 car payment for five years. But um, when you talk about paying your student loans, people have a big problem with that. And I think long-term, this, this is a great investment in yourself, a college degree. And I think it's just the mindset people have. Now, again, having excessive debt, like you've talked about, Peter, I mean, that's what we don't want. Um, but student loans are, are a good way to finance an education. It's just um, making sure that you have the, uh, the, the right amount um, as you're going through. I mean, you know, we talked about mentioned mortgages a minute ago. A lot of the same rules apply, and I, I don't know that we've gotten through to students. You know, everyone knows when you go to buy a house that you shouldn't take out a loan for the maximum amount you qualify for, and it's the same to be said for, for student loans as well. Um, you know, we don't want to subsidize a, a better lifestyle than students really need to have when they're, when they're younger and make them pay for it um, for years and years down the line. All right, we only have about three minutes to go, so I want to ask each of you for, for that takeaway that you, you hope that people will remember. If they don't remember anything else from our program today, what's going to help them the most in the, you know, as they're, they're getting through their school year and, and trying to make sure they don't have too much debt? Jim? I would say planning. I think it's uh, when you have children or if you're thinking about going back to college, uh, it's planning how you're going to pay. There's a lot of resources out there. There's financial aid nights. There's uh, a wide variety of, of uh, services available. And it's planning how you're going to pay through uh, with that. And it also means saving and planning. Um, again, coming to the university and saying, I'm just going to finance the whole thing with student loans is a, is a really, really bad idea. So I think it's, it's that balancing piece. And again, if we can get people to start planning earlier on, it's really going to help with this. Okay. Jason? I'd certainly agree with that. Um, but, uh, you know, if we're framing this around students who are starting school right now or they're in school right now, um, I think from the commission's perspective, the best thing they can do is graduate on time. So taking 30 credits or more per year, 15 or more per semester, um, that's the best way to minimize the cost of the degree, and it's the best way to minimize the amount of debt they're going to take on. All right. Adam, about one minute to finish up. You bet. A good friend of mine once told me, if you do for two years what most people won't do, you can do for the rest of your life what most people can't do. And I tell students all the time, scholarships. It is the single highest paying part-time job you could have in college. If they do that for two years, focus on nothing but applying for scholarships, they'll have their college degree paid for. Mm -hmm. And what percentage of students, Jim, come to IU with scholarships of some sort? Well, quite a few. Mm -hmm. I mean, and in addition to the scholarships, it's the institutional aid as well. We have a, a lot of students uh, that have some type of scholarship or grant aid to help pay for their college. Mm -hmm. Okay. I want to thank all three of our guests today, Jason Beers from the Indiana Commission for Higher Education, uh, Jim Kennedy, Associate Vice President at IU, and Adam Carroll. A Adam, when is the uh, documentary going to be out? documentary will air on CNBC May 21st at 10 p.m. Eastern. Okay, thank you. That's uh, Adam Carroll from a finan financial literacy public speaker and documentarian from uh, Iowa. Uh, for uh, producer Ryan DiBattista, engineer Mike Pashkash, and Peter Ballinan-Rosen, thanks for joining me, Peter. Thank Pleasure to be here. I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from School of Public Health Bloomington. Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. Publichealth.indiana.edu and Smithville Fiber, the Gigacity Company. Fiber Internet, HD, and digital IPTV in Southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com.